Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 26 of Ask the CEO with Abraham Gatayl. Today's guest is a software engineer who is fascinated by the learning process, both machine and human. He cares for developer relations at Amazon Web Services, presenting the latest and greatest from the cloud and bringing back user experiences. It's my pleasure to welcome Julio Fairman. Welcome, Julio. Hey, nice, nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for joining. Where are you from, by the way? I'm from Brazil, actually, originally. I'm now in Madrid and speaking to the world. <laughs> wow, and you're speaking to me over the cloud all the way from Madrid to New York. Yep, um, unbelievably from wireless. I can't believe the connection is that good. I'm lucky today. <laughs> <laughs> so are we, and you know, that brings us right into what it is you do, because <laughs> that is very fascinating, and you know, we share that in common about technology, how, you know, how this technology works, and um, you know, just the way that people around the world can connect instantly as if they're sitting right in front of one another. Yeah, and well, my job is actually called developer relations or evangelist, as people usually call it. I kind of don't like that name because it sounds like I'm only preaching to the masses, but it's not at all like that. It's an interactive thing. I like being with developers and helping them be successful. So it is a long time that I'm talking at conferences, creating content and sharing what I learned from software engineering, but I never thought that this would actually become a job. <laughs> and I thought this is something that developers have been doing for a long time. And well, eventually companies saw that. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. I actually find that unique. Um, and it's unique to what you do because, you know, as a developer, right, I, I actually believe in it. I started my career as a software developer. So we have a lot in common. And, you know, it's interesting. There's some developers that like sitting in a cave doing their thing and, you know, just being very focused on their work. And then there are developers that are more personable that go out there and sort of bridge the gap and educate them yeah. on what it is they do. Sure. And this is the most fascinating thing about the cloud for me. Um, back in 2010, when I did my first migration to the cloud, I saw that really anybody can go there and launch a product, launch a service, and do whatever he wants to do. It's very uh, democratizing. I don't know if that's a word, but yeah. it's, it, it really enables because as, as well because the same tools and services are available from the, from the little guy up to the huge corporations at the same price, at the same quality, at the same security. So it's just a matter of going there and building it. And that's what I like helping people to do. Yeah. And, and by the way, talking about the cloud, what I love about what you're saying is that, you know, the point of the cloud is it's sort of like an equalizer. You know, the, yeah. you know, the little guy who's just starting, an entrepreneur who's just starting a business, he can leverage the full benefit of, of any infrastructure the same way that a large company uh, has. Yeah, and it's really started with infrastructure and people usually see cloud as infrastructure providers, 
But when you think about what that means nowadays, that we have services for artificial intelligence, image recognition, conversational interfaces, enterprise applications, and whatnot, it's really enabling for a so wide variety of use cases that I can, I think it's essential for pretty much every professional today. And not only IT, I see like biologists, chemists, physicists, and everybody joining together and creating awesome products. So you mentioned an interesting point. So how would a biologist or physicist yeah, I, I was at the Mexico summit last year and this this guy came to me with a fascinating application about bird watching. He mapped the the campsites and the national parks and created a very complete application just himself and he learned how to develop for Android and how to publish to S3 and just did it. It's it's fascinating how everything's so accessible, not only the services, but also the knowledge about everything in computer science is available nowadays on Coursera, on tutorials, on our show, and there are so many sources of information that this, it's from, from one perspective, it causes some anxiety because there is so much to learn and so much to understand that people sometimes feel a bit anxious. But on the other side, I think it's good that this amount of possibilities are available to so many people. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. One of the experiences that I've had talking to people, because my, my industry is cloud communications. So many times I go to expos or when I meet with customers and they have a hard time understanding what's the difference between iCloud, which is something that everybody uses on their iPhone, yeah. right? To cloud communications, to cloud softwares, that where you store your pictures, your files. Like there's this big misconception about what the cloud is. Yeah, and a couple of years ago, we used to hear things like infrastructure as a service or platform as a service or software as a service to tier and divide those cases. But so now there are so many different shades of gray that you can, you can think of, for example, the, uh, a database software or a search engine is that platform, is that infrastructure, is that software as a service. And nobody really knows, and nowadays nobody really cares. It's nobody just cares. a service. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a service that you consume online and build great applications on. It's as simple as that. So where do you, where do you think this, um, these silos came about? like platform as a service, infrastructure? Yeah, because uh, we have this tendency to create these generalizations and in, it really are very different jobs. I mean, if you're the public, the, if you're a system administrator or if you are a software developer or if you are just deploying applications, so depending on where you are on the stack, you should you call it a bit, a bit differently. But nowadays, the 
I've, what I've been seeing is that everybody is agreeing that we are just different legs of the same elephant and equally blind, but we have this task. So with DevOps and microservices, those things are bringing us together and eliminating those divisions and just making us focus on the task at hand. That's a great explanation. So for everybody listening out there, what's the cloud? It's just this big thing and you can yeah. attach to it and just get the <laughs> benefit that everybody gets. Yeah, and it's so weird because if you think about it, it's mostly the same hardware. AWS is mostly Intel hardware and it's mostly the same software. We can use the same application services, the same languages. So what really changes? Exactly, nothing. Yeah, but at the same time, it changes everything, right? It changes the cost dynamics, it changes the agility, it changes the innovation possibilities, it changes literally everything. Uh, so it's, <laughs> that's, that's, it's fascinating. It is, it is. And, you know, as a small business owner, talk about agility. Um, I needed a server. So I went to my Amazon Web Services account and like literally within minutes, I had a new Windows server available. Um, mm. It's really that easy. You know, why go out and buy the server and have to deal with, you know, the electricity? Uh, let, you know, just talking about that. Uh, in, in fact, you know, we're going to go off on a tangent a bit. But recently, I, I had a booth at a green business summit. It was all about green technology, uh, which is good for the environment, good for the planet. And we have a lot on that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And what I basically said is um, the reason why I'm here is because I support this technology. By being in the cloud, we're using up less electricity. And that's good for the environment. But I'm, I'm really fascinated to hear, to hear your take on that. Yeah. Amazon has a global commitment to achieve 100% green energy. And we already have some, some regions, such as Oregon, that are 100% green. And I, be, I believe overall we are nearly at 50%. And we, this is just growing. And it's not only about energy consumption. Um, most of our energy gears, such as our transformers and everything that uh, the, the switches, the uh, UPS, everything is heavily customized for our scale and to be more efficient. And it's, it's amazing. We have solar farms, we have wind farms, just as huge as commercial ones, and sometimes even bigger. And when we do this, people uh, very frequently ask why, and think it's just something uh, for cost efficient for ourselves. But um, there is this virtual cycle of the cloud that every cost savings that we make, such as the ones in energy, they retrofit directly in the customer cost. We have reduced cost nearly 50 times already without any competitive pressure to do so. Mm -hmm. And it's quite crazy. You think that how many service providers come to you and say, hey, your bill just decreased. There's nothing you need to do about it. Have, use it more. Have a nice day. It's just like that. 
So, so now if you think about it, if, if I wanted to deploy this in my office, right, I would have to get solar panels or wind turbines in, in order if I wanted to generate green uh, electricity. Yeah, and the cost um, of that would be astronomical. Yeah, this is the, the economics, all the benefits of the economy of scale that we see in the cloud. And what I think is interesting is it's not only about the physical parts. It's not only that uh, uh, you couldn't buy the gear yourself, but it's also a lot about the intellectual part of it. Uh, when you pub, it's very easy to publish a website and put something up. But when you think things about uh, security and how to prevent uh, cross-site scripting and denial of service attacks and all those kinds of things, it's it's so hard for a small company or so or to have this kind of knowledge and professionals and so easy to just pay a fraction of a cent and let AWS do it, that that's the higher, it's uh, maybe a leverage at least just as big as the, the hardware one. That, you know, that's a great point that I hadn't considered. So the security of your intellectual property of your environment yeah, and the same goes for other areas. For example, right now, a very big trend in cloud computing is machine learning and in computing overall. And if you start to take the machine learning course on Coursera and read the books and implement the whole thing and get yourself a doctor on computer science to understand all the math, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it, but you can do it, but that shouldn't prevent you from building your own thing. You can uh, start Amazon Machine Learning, update your data, upload your data set, calibrate your model, and in 20 minutes, be up and running with a recommendation system. And if you need, then build a better one or else just ship your app. Yeah, and, and you know they say a doctor is a doc is a is a good doctor because he focuses on only one thing, being a doctor. Mm. The doctor is not going to be an IT guy. He's not going to be a phone guy or an electrician. He's going to let the pros do it. And that's the thing. What you're saying, what I understand you're saying, is that people focus on what they do best and let the pros handle the rest. Yeah, the AWS is all about, as Dr. Werner says, the pain management and all those things that are very important for everyone, but are not your specific job, such as security, machine learning, file systems, databases, and whatnot. Those uh, can easily become our job and let you do yours, yeah. which would be whatever. In your case, telecom, but you can see medical finance and Every industry nowadays is on the cloud. Yeah. By the way, uh, what is machine learning? Well, machine learning is all about making computers work without being explicitly programmed. So when, for example, you go to 
um, search engine or uh, text correction or to recognize an image. There are lots of tasks that are very easy for humans to do, but very hard for machines to, to do because you wouldn't implement all the rules. Then you would need uh, instead of coding rule by rule, have a computer look at a set of examples of how those things are and learn from it, at least in the simplest case. So for example, if you have a set of house characteristics and the prices of sale, and you want to know how much you would sell your new house, you can just have this, this new uh, characteristics as an input and get a prediction of your house price. This would be a very classical uh, regression problem where you just need a recommendation for a simple value. But things go all the way to image recognition, for example, where you have uh, an image and need to detect what's in that image. Or even um, things like, and this is the enabling technology for the most recent things we are seeing, such as self-driving cars and uh, automated healthcare and a lot of innovations that um, what is most significant about them that is that they are all based on the same technologies. It's a very small set of machine learning technologies that are enabling this whole set from self-driving cars to medical systems, to automatic trading, to this uh, really new, new wave of IT, I'd say. It's fascinating. So this is basically artificial intelligence. Yeah, but artificial intelligence is such a wide range of studies and even machine learning is now, of, you could have like this, it's a huge thing. So it's too generic to be useful, I guess. So even machine learning now is becoming too generic. People are usually talking more about uh, people are, it's already common to see people understanding what is the difference between supervised learning and supervised learning and at even the major algorithms, things that you usually would see only on a specialized conference a few years back now are becoming commonplace. And it's really enabling a, a lot of innovation. And most IT providers are are doing this and actually, and the cloud is not different. Mm. That, thank you so much for that uh, great ed education on the cloud. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, it's a very uh, different, it's, it's not for every use case. It's something that I know that to a lot of people that will take only the infrastructure part and just want to spin servers and that's all right, they are there. And this is another thing. You can, if you really want just the bare metal or just the virtual servers or the database or the application or the whole suite from machine learning to IoT and big data and whatnot, it's, it's a huge, supermarket, as I'd say, and that's a big difference for, for Amazon because we offer you those, the building blocks, the assembled blocks and the whole box in one, uh, in dozens of services. 
And a lot of people expect uh, more uh, one uh, one stop shop where you go and buy your silver bullet and it solves all your problems. And this never worked in IT. We've saw that so many times and it really didn't cut it. So I really like this approach where you have this freedom to pick and integrate and use at the level of abstraction that is better for your project. But in the other hand, it certainly caused some anxiety for beginners to just look at 70 services and figuring, trying to figure out where do we start. So that's why I think my job is important. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, there are a couple of things you said, for example, databases. So to, to the uneducated, right, um, I, I know I went myself. When I wanted to have a SQL Server, so a database platform, so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to need a server. I'm going to need a Win. I'm going to have to get a Windows license, um, and then I have to install. I get a SQL license, and then finally build my database. So there's several pieces that you need, um, and then I'm thinking, okay, if I wanted to do that in the cloud, I still have to do the same thing, but it would all be virtual. So now what you're saying is no. Take your database, upload it to Amazon. You don't need a SQL Server. You don't need the Windows Server. Well, it's not exactly this. The, the idea that I want to make clear is that you have both ways. So uh, SQL Server is a good example but for, because you can fire an EC2 uh, RDS instance on the relational database service. And with one command or a couple clicks, you have your database up and running and charging by the hour with license included and everything. Backups automated, replication, failover, everything automated and managed by AWS. And that's awesome. But suppose you have a very special case that, for example, you built your own plugin or you want a very specific setup uh, with uh, specific versions or whatever is your requirement that doesn't allow you to use what we have on RDS, for, uh, you can easily spin a Windows instance, install your own database and manage it the way uh, your custom case requires. And if you want to go the level above and instead of spinning just the database, spinning a whole uh, application, for example, a SharePoint website, there are, uh, this is packaged as a template and you can in the same fashion with one click, just spin up a whole SharePoint website or exchange or a whole set of products that uh, will be more than one machine and coordinate everything. So you can uh, use what AWS provides but if you're afraid of vendor locking, or if you have a custom case, or for whatever reason you don't want to use what we package in this most convenient services, you are very free to spin the, the instance and customize it any way you want. Gotcha, so the point is that there are so many choices. Yeah, because there are very different ways. For example, there are companies that are uh, this kind of the I'd like to bring up one specific conversation that we usually don't because it's so subtle 
about vendor locking. For, and it's, what, what, is, what is that? What is vendor locking? So the question is when you, when you acquire a, a, a service or you start using a library or anything that's not built by yourself, every time you delegate a part of your application, you are tied to that provider. And if you want to change it afterwards, there may be consequences. And this is usually the case on databases. For example, if you start using SQL Server and one day you're not satisfied with it anymore and you want to migrate to MySQL, for example, uh, how much of your application and how much you will have to spend on your business to make this migration going on. And this is a very common concern. So we have a lot of around that. For example, we have a database migration service that can take you from one database to the other and help you migrate. And, doing, uh, and there are lots of tools uh, in software engineering that help you cope with this kind of migration, but it's very subtle. For example, we have a service called Aurora on relational database that is 100% compatible with either Postgres or MySQL. And it's, uh, in the case of MySQL, five or six times faster because MySQL uh, was projected, was created for any kind of computer and Aurora is built specifically for AWS infrastructure. It's an AWS uh, a database that only runs on AWS and totally proprietary, but on the end, the protocol is the same as MySQL. So you can connect with the same protocol, the same applications, the same, um, it works transparently. So you, if you want to run it on Amazon, you can run it against Aurora or against MySQL. But if you want to run it on your machine or elsewhere, you can run it using MySQL. And the thing is, the question, does this raise uh, and creates a vendor locking with Amazon or not. This was the first thing that came in when we launched the service. Uh, I kept, uh, we evangelists usually keep reading the Hacker News threads. And the first thing that someone brought up on Hacker News was, does this create a vendor locking with Amazon? Are you tied or not? Because for one side, not because it's the same protocol and you can change very easily. But on the other hand, it's, well, it's six times faster. Perhaps my application won't even run if I go out of, out of Aurora. Perhaps a performance can create a locking. So it's, it's subtle. And the way that I usually go around these things is, create uh, a test, create an objective test. Don't lose yourself in words. Don't lose yourself in, is this it or is this that? Because those, when you change it into small, this is, doesn't end up meaning too much. So the thing is, how much latency do you need? How much throughput do you need? Uh, how much, uh, which encryption is best for you? Um, if you start measuring those requirements as objectively as possible, you can easily see if the technology holds it or not. For example, when the, there's an excellent talk by the NASA folks from the Jet Propulsion Lab, they talk, Tom Soderstrom talks about how 
the process was when they were implementing AWS and they went to each manager and collected their requirements and make a small proof of concept for each one in this very same way. So, for example, there was this guy that he was afraid that Amazon wouldn't have the number of machines required to run his simulations. So he ju they just wrote a script that was like three lines, while true, run instance. Just to, It's a penny per instance, just let me see how many instances can I buy from AWS. And so, and very quickly they discovered that accounts have limits and if you go over those limits, you can request for the limits to be improved. And that's what they did and everybody was comfortable and they, they got the, the request approved for the amount of machines they needed and moved on to the next, to the next uh, proof of concept. And this is very important. Every time that you face fear, uncertainty and doubt, fight it with objective proofs of concept and don't waste too much time with the wordings. And that, by the way, is a quality that successful entrepreneurs have as well. They don't let fear get them down. Yeah, and in this industry, there is so much fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and things that you don't know that it's normal for people to be anxious. It's, you, it's very, very reasonable to have these questions. Uh, uh, will I have to change my application? How is it secure? Um, how is it latency? The thing that's important is just not be stuck with it and start having opinions such as, oh, the cloud's not safe, or the cloud's not performance, or the cloud is or is not this or that, and just get your requirements set and test them. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I like talking about with regards to the cloud is business continuity. Now, one of the things about Amazon, you've got data centers all over the world. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and that's also a very interesting thing because uh, it's different than other providers because we have a global network of regions and each region have its independent and have own, your, its own set of services with a different price and a different availability of services. We don't just pack, pack it all globally. So you, have, you really have, for some services, you have to choose which, in which service you're going to run. And this makes it uh, uh, interesting because what we call regions is actually a set of availability zones and each availability zone is actually a set of data centers. So in this, there's this brilliant talk by, in, from reInvent from James Hamilton, where he shows the, it's late night with James Hamilton from reInvent 2016. And we, he shows how regions work from the uppermost, uh, from the global topology of our network and under uh, undersea cables and everything up down to the level of a custom network interface. So he goes through the energy and uh, all customizations we have on our data center just to make it more efficient worldwide. 
and very importantly, this concept that we have a very different network and service infrastructure. So just to make it very clear, in a set of data centers is called an availability zone, and one availability zone is totally indistinguishable from the other, and you can use it for things that require low latency, such as database replication, because one between AZs, you have single digit millisecond and typically less than one millisecond. Uh, it's a very high performance fiber link between every AZ in a region. And you, when you have those sets, they are aggregated in a physical location called a region. And there are applications that uses several regions, but that's not required for high availability. For example, if you want, if you, if there is a lightning storm or a zombie attack or whatever on one specific availability zone, you can always fall over to another availability zone that's completely independent with independent power, independent location, kilometers apart, and will not be damaged. But if you want to deploy your application with endpoints all around the world, for example, then it may be the case that you use even more than one region. Yeah, so let's take the zombie attack. <laughs> so I have a cloud communications company in New York, and suppose I'm using Amazon, and actually we, I, I had on the show a cloud provider in Arizona, episode 19, a company called Crescendo, and they use Amazon Web Services as their backup. So let's say zombies converged on Arizona and just wiped out the whole state. Now they have their cloud communications platform on Amazon and that's real time, low latency. I'm sitting in New York on a phone call using their service in Arizona. What happens when the zombies destroyed the data center? Does it automatically fail over? How does that work? Yeah, that's, that's quite interesting because we have Yet another set of infrastructure called the edge locations that is the content delivery network that we have like 50 or by now should be even closer to 60 points of presence worldwide where you can always have a low latency connection point to data blast network and deliver your content. And this is for the services that require low latency such as DNS, CDN and WAF and some other services that, uh, but very few of those. And the idea is that every infrastructure type, be the edge locations, the regions, the availability zones, or individual data centers are, uh, they work different in different services. So, uh, and that's very, very important to understand because every application behaves differently in these cases of high availability. For example, if you're doing yourself, your own database, as we were talking before, and you decided to go on EC2 and build your own SQL Server, then you are responsible for understanding that if the data center that you picked is down, the AZ that you picked goes down, uh, if you don't have provisioned a copy, a backup, or something like that, it will go down. So. We have in our relational database service an option called multi-AZ. It's just a checkbox. If you click it, 
instead of provisioning one database, it will create two databases in different availability zones with replication and failover already set up for you. And all it takes is a checkbox or a CLI flag. And you know how much work this would be for a DBA to set up from the start. So uh, if you chose to be highly available on RDS, on Mulhazy, then you could just watch the zombies eat through the database <laughs> from the data center. And we actually do have a zombie apocalypse workshop, <laughs> a game day, if you'd like. It's uh, where your first task is Go, uh, zombies ate all the servers and you need to go serverless to keep communicating with your peers. But on RDS, That's it's just, yeah, yeah, check your porch. Yeah, I can send you the link, check it, I check it out that. later, the zombie apocalypse. Uh, we'll put that the, in the notes for people to click on. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. We have it on our events. We are seeing the AWS, we are building the broadcast, the game day, the zombie apocalypse workshop, all those learning, uh, very hands-on learning activities that I highly recommend you guys to take a look. And definitely you can put up the link. And even companies that goes bigger, such as the global database distributions with tools such as Cassandra and other distribu distributed databases, they may even go um, global and have data replicated throughout the globe in different regions, but they usually understand this. For example, inside the region where you are in a local network, you can use synchronous replication because you have low latency, your transaction can wait to be replicated before committing. If you are through the internet to another region, latencies are higher and you, can, you need to do asynchronous replication and ship your data while you commit and hope that everything will be consistent eventually. So uh, this kind of tool exists and you can use it to be global. And in this case, it may be important in some cases. For example, if the if the zombies took down a whole continent and you need to fail over to other regions in other continents, that's also possible. It's not, it's not trivial. It's definitely something that every context needs to pay attention to details such as security, latencies. Um, especially in these cases, we are talking now about disaster. You need to not... Uh, pretend that you are prepared, really. Uh, you I don't know if you guys saw the, the Netflix Chaos Monkeys. They have this Chaos Monkey project, and it started really small. Chaos Monkey is just a, a script that kills a random instance in your account, and they use it in production just to test that the failure of one machine doesn't fail the whole system. And then they introduced other monkeys. Now they have the latency monkey that instead of killing the machine, they make it harder. They just make it unresponsive. So you don't have a response or an error and this can't impact the latency of the whole service. And they, they have the, the janitor monkey that kills only unused resources. And the chaos gorilla that takes a whole availability zone down and now even they have the Chaos Kong that takes an entire region down. 
And there is a, uh, they, re they re recently launched a new visualization tool called Visceral. And there is a demo on YouTube of Visceral showing the network traffic while they take a whole region down. It's very, very interesting to see. I'd love to see that. If you could send a link, I'll put that in the show notes for the audience as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, we've talked about Visceral and, and ChaosCon and a lot of references, the zombie apocalypse, then you can, you can call me up on that. I'll definitely send you the links. But the, the idea is every software handles high availability different, every service too. So if you are on, if you're talking about global services such as CloudFront, you don't have to worry, right? If you're talking about regional services such as S3, this is managed by AWS. And you usually we have we S3 is a, a very interesting topic because we recently had an issue with S3 in a major region, but it was since 2008 up and running without one single stop. So, and it, it, you can use it pretty reliably, but you can be more reliable. You, you could use S3 in every region that you would, if you would like to be like uh, as reliable as Netflix or those big companies that uses just all infrastructure, all infrastructure that they can get. Yeah, so the point is that you have so many different choices based on what your needs are. Yeah, that's, I think that's the whole lesson in IT and as a professional, I, I suffered that uh, a bit because uh, when you start working, all your decisions seem pretty obvious. You know, that's, oh, I got to use Java, I need to build a REST API, so I need to build this, I need to build that. But you go funneling down and you don't, you end up very frustrated about some part of the technology that doesn't work exactly the way you would like and think, wow, um, are these guys dumb? What are, why is it that way? And sometimes it is the case that you don't uh, understand completely. And if sometimes I, I had this problem a lot with Java EE application servers and ended up understanding, trying to understand why the, the thing works like that and how, what are the alternatives is a very rewarding learning experience. So you know, how did you get started in, in all this? Yeah, my career as a software engineer was mostly focused on Java and Linux. Technically, I'm, I started working on my university as a technical assistant on the lab then moved on to small infrastructure providers, uh, internet service providers. And after a while, I ended up working for Borland. Mm, uh, I remember those days. Okay. Oh, uh, those were beautiful days. And I'm, to this day, it makes me sad to think that such a brilliant and innovative company such as Borland that got us Turbo C, Turbo Pascal, Delphi, and these tools that Everybody that, everybody that have uh, a little less hair will remember. <laughs> and it, it's, it's awesome, but it, it, in the crisis, in the financial crisis, it 
things didn't went well financially and the company ended up being sold for a very small amount of money and taking different directions. And by the time I also had fin- uh, personal problems myself and took uh, a couple months to travel and went back to Red Hat. So I start, I worked at Red Hat for a couple of years at JBoss, working in the JBoss application server, middleware, and other products from JBoss, such as business rules and every, a lot of cool projects they have at Red Hat. And then I started working at AWS. One of my friends invited me to work as an instructor and at Red Hat I was in the commercial side and tied to the sales organization as a solutions architect and handling all sorts of conflicts conflicts of interest that rises in sales or in traditional sales organizations where you have the traditional sales process and ended up deciding that I would be better with students because I was teaching for 10 years by then and decided to start training people on cloud computing. And from that to evangelist, it was a very natural step. Now, what about teaching students? Yeah, that's my passion. I've been teaching since I since I started learning, since I'm, uh, I started working as a technical assistant for computer graphics first, then network at the university. And then I started teaching in another university for the Java postgraduate course, and then mentoring. And even now I see myself as an educator with a pretty large class. Yeah, exactly. and. You know, something Gary Vaynerchuk talks about uh, is living your passion. You know, people can be stuck in jobs that they don't like and they just do it for a paycheck every day. But you saw the opportunity for your passion to fill your passion and you went for it. Yeah. And educate. uh, I like the way I see education as a two-way street. It's something that makes me understand more and learn more every day. So it's, uh, in French, it's even the same word and it makes total sense because uh, it's very hard, I mean, to just go and learn everything in your cubicle without sharing. It's so much harder. You don't should decide because learning the thing is the easiest part. The hard part is what I'm going to learn, how I'm going to learn the the whole process is hard. It's not just learning the thing. And when you have people with different skill sets, sharing stuff, some work fast, some learning, you reinforce in one side and advance in another and everybody moves together. It's such a rewarding experience that it really changes the, the way you not only you learn, but coding and everything. I'm for one, I've been, I have never been in one project with the same set of technologies and uh, one equal to the other. So uh, being a developer is essentially a learning experience. And it's much better together, of course. Absolutely. And don't you find that you learn more by teaching? teaching. Yeah, yes, totally. Yeah. And sometimes 
especially in the beginning of my career, of course, that I had to kill myself night after night preparing things and learning to, to teach on the, on the next day. And some, to some people feel that, well, you're teaching, uh, you're cheating. And, and it's not that, you know, I'm not the, nobody knows everything. And then the important thing is not how much you know about the thing, but that you're willing to honestly go out there and share the, just as much as you know it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the old mentality used to be silos of information. You know, people were afraid. They, they were uh, motivated by fear. You know, they were yeah. afraid of, of losing their edge if they shared information. But that doesn't yeah. Yeah, because uh, the thing that we were talking in the beginning, this ties with the perspective. You, get, you can't, uh, as deep as your perspective may be, sometimes, the, and I've seen it happen a lot of times, the, the birth, the, sometimes the most important piece of advice or of knowledge or of insight that you get comes from the person that you would least expect it. And uh, the, the lesson is don't ex just don't expect to just go and share with everyone, regardless of their level of experience, gender, nationality, and just be open to teaching and learning. Beautiful message. Yeah, that's how I like to, to go about it. And it's, but it's hard because it's, in a world with so many, so much information and so many sources, and it's it's not it's important to understand that this is not a competition. It's something that we need. You can find. It's, it's a matter. It's a more about searching. It's a search problem and finding uh, each other, and the rest is easy. Right, and about that. So one of the things. I actually had a, a guest on who is uh, um, who is a practitioner in NLP, and he always talks about the brain's filter system. So um, I, I don't remember the exact statistics. I think the, the the brain takes in, or you see, you can see about two million bits of information, but you can only process so much. I think it's something like a uh, hundred thousand bits, or and I'm, I'm sure I'm totally off with the number, but it's a small number. And the idea is that where your, where your brain fil is filtering things out, that's what you're going to see. So, for example, um, you ever get a new car and then all of a sudden you start noticing it all, all over the street. Um, you know, everywhere yeah, you're totally. in a car, right? Does it mean that everybody got that car at the same time you did? No, they had the car. <laughs> but because you're thinking about it, that's where, you're, that's where you're seeing. And it's the same thing when you focus your mind on, on, a, on a problem, on a challenge, and you're thinking about solving that problem, so you will find the solution. And by going about, going about it in a problem-solving uh, mentality, in a collaborative, uh, collaborative approach, as opposed to being afraid, you will actually gain so much more. Yeah, totally. I have a friend who says that when you pick the doctor, you pick the, the sickness. 
<laughs> if, I mean, if you, it's, but yeah, it's like this. Once you get funneled to your own specific technology set, you end up believing that's the rightest thing to do. And it's very important to take a step back sometimes and really look at what's going on, especially nowadays that we have technology being shifted so much it used to be the case that you have this one-stop shop providers of everything and now you have to integrate a whole set of services and technologies that it's very likely the case that you feel that you're the only person in the world that's using that specific set of things and it's very hard to find to learn through it and integrate everything and get hands-on experience and mentoring with it all. And again, this is why uh, we started, especially this broadcast on Twitch, because uh, even I travel a lot, going to meetups and conferences, but it's not nearly enough to reach the amount of people that's using AWS nowadays. So we are very happy to have Twitch as a new broadcast mechanism where we can engage with as many developers as needed. And we really would like to see you and your audience and everyone jumping in the stream and coding with us because the, the, the very difference of Twitch is that Everybody can chime in and say what they would like to build and what are they interesting as uh, interested in as developers, and we can code to that direction. That's so. That's something new I just learned. I'm going to write that down. So it's called Twitch. It's it's Twitch.tv/aws. That's our channel. It's T W I T C H. It's, uh, it's usually used for broadcasting Minecraft. <laughs> it's usually about games. It's usually someone... That's how everything uh, gets started. <laughs> well, I, I'd say games is a very um, it's an incredible driver for IT. Networking, high performance, everything is pushed by games, content creation, whatnot. It's... Games brings us forward, definitely. And Twitch is all about sharing that. And so people, you can play Minecraft, Hearthstone, or League of Legends and uh, share that experience with everyone. And this was initially a very bad idea, right? Who's gonna want to watch someone play? People want to play, not like watch someone play, but if you remember those times when you hang with your friends playing video games, it's, it's cool to watch as well. And there are channels with thousands and thousands of viewers and people jumping in and they end up playing together and doing, uh, taking different courses. And we can do the same in programming. Uh, we started this week, yesterday with uh, S3 and content delivery through CloudFront, but on the next episodes, we're gonna do application delivery, NoSQL databases, SQL databases, machine learning, and get the, uh, it's the, and the most important thing is make it real. It's, it's me coding with you guys the same way that we would code 
uh, a real project, a real application, and it's going to be online. It's going. We can add the most strict requirements and see how to do it and be successful on AWS. That's the whole idea. And what you've done is you've basically given the public a voice. So if people want certain features, there you go. You know, we're listening. Yeah, and one important aspect is that I, it's beginners friendly. It's going to be deep, it's going to be technical, but it's going to be friendly to everyone. All questions are going to be asked and uh, if there is anything that someone don't understand, we are going to explain it and make everybody feel comfortable on board before moving on. And I think that's, uh, it's a challenge to build things this way, but I think this is the right way to go about it. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, because you're listening to your customers and there's no better way to be successful in business than to actually give your customers what they want. Yeah, and AWS is all about that. You know, there are many interviews from our executives where they are asked how AWS is so successful. And the number one thing that you hear is that everything that we built, we built from customer opinion and working with customer requirements and driving it back home and um, working on it ourselves and delivering and hearing more and understanding what are the issues with the thing that we just built and build something better next week and iterating with them is very, very important. And that's how we come up with most of the things we have. And yeah, and thank you so much for sharing your secret to success because it's <laughs> not a secret, but you know, you have to keep that in mind um, to always take feedback, elicit feedback and actually listen to what people want. Well, it's hard. There are some counterparts. For example, there are many companies that face on the competition and even uh, there are, well, there's always this thinking that if I gave my customers, for example, I think Ford said that if they if he gave customers what they wanted, I would that he would have made a better horse, a faster <laughs> horse. Right? Yeah, I heard that as well. <laughs> so, but it's not about giving customers what they want. It's about caring for them enough to understand that what they want is not what exactly what they need and trying to come up with something that will make them successful. And this is the, the whole idea. And the same goes for the show. Of course, that uh, if eventually when we have enough viewership, it may be the case that I cannot answer everything online but I can come back to people, I can consolidate, I can publish on the web, I can make sure that everybody's following in many other different ways. And that's how we go. Yep, and I will definitely do my part to get people onto your show. <laughs> Most Thursdays, we will have the, the schedule published. It's just starting and we definitely need uh, your opinion and understand what's important for everyone. And I would be happy to see everybody there. Yeah, great. So, so Julio, what were some of your biggest challenges or ups and downs as you were building your career? Well, I'd say uh, there's a lot. There's, I think as a technical profession, 
professional women are always faced with the fear of not knowing enough or not being confident enough or being a fraud <laughs> and this kind of things. And, and I have to say that we are very mean to, to one another and the way I see people treating each other in the technical industry is terrifying. And there's a lot of bullies, there's a lot of uh, vendors and it's not always the best treatment. So personally, I'd say that um, one thing that was important is to understand that nobody really understands everything and nobody, and most of the times people don't have an, um, the, the, the level of understanding and they're not wizards, magics, and they're just people with different motivations and different competences. And the important thing is being friendly and sharing a lot with everyone. I think that's uh, idea that people had that I'm going to keep this idea in my little silo and the branch it by myself. It's not doable anymore. I mean, just, just for the complexity and the size of things that we are building, we really need to work and learn together. And that's something that I had to learn as well. And that was a challenge. And another thing is the, when I, when I joined AWS, I asked for advice from my biggest, one of the people that I admire, I admire the most, Jeff Barr, our first technical evangelist. And he said, I was expecting some technical brilliant thing. And he's, he told me one thing that was the same as many others said that, don't leave your personal life behind and have a good life. If you don't have a good life, if you're not help, happy about yourself and your family and what your loved ones and things that make you feel well, it's, it, it, it's, it doesn't matter if you're the most advanced Java expert in the world. Right? Yeah. And yeah. And I had to sacrifice a lot to, balance this and this is also uh, something that I believe every technical professional is being challenged with. What kept you motivated while you were going through this? Well, actually the, the same thing that I, I became friends with some students and it, it was very interesting that they were very, very supportive. When I had my issues, I could talk to them about my technical problems and even personal problems. And this, con this personal connections I've built were somewhere, somewhere important than anything else. I mean, initially when I started, the thing that used to make me happy is when I get the thing built and out of the door. Once I build a project called Gov Digital, Gov digital, gov digital government, something for um, public invoicing, service invoicing for small cities and fraud detection. It's saving millions for the, for the public. And I've, of course that I feel good about saving millions for the public pockets. But when I see the things that my students built, it's, way bigger and more re rewarding when you meet a guy like 
one year after he took your class and he showed the things that he's using and how you helped him and how they're being successful and how you are a part of that and perhaps you can even go because when it's that way when the guy you develop that level of trust you can always go back and do one more iteration and be together for one more time and i think that's the whole thing about life being together with the people you care yeah and you know in business the secret to business as well is is that personal relationship and as long as you remember that you're working with people and you're doing business with people that's how you grow yeah and of course that i've been fortunate enough to work with the coolest technology and as geeks you know boys and their toys it's and i've had the most amazing toys i couldn't choose better <laughs> that's great follow your passion yeah so you know there's a statistic that about 50 percent of small businesses fail within the first year yeah and it's crazy because i can say that i failed a lot it's not mm. it's it's this thing about i'm not much of a follow your passion because i i can i honestly say that i hated it i hated it for a long time and i've nearly you know hate when well, before you find that semicolon that's not making your code compile for a week or, you know, those times that you almost rage quit. I, I, I mean, I've been at the edge of quitting jobs and the whole profession on, on so many times that I can even count. But when you sleep on it and go to the next day, you know, it, and see that, well, let's solve this and get it's it's brilliant. It's a brilliant journey. It's uh, it's so so interesting. I think that when people say follow your passion, I I don't read it as just have a happy path and shiny happy people, but be an interesting path. I'm shooting for interesting more than happy. Yeah, and, and the truth is happy is really congruence because, yeah. you know, you, you could do your passion and you could have miserable days, but, yeah. it, but you don't focus on the misery. Yeah, today yeah. is a miserable day, but you know what? If you look at it as a whole, I'm doing what I love and I'm going to get through this and learn from this. Yeah, and I'm not going to lie. Computing is stressful in every sense it's a it's it's hard to understand it's full of crazy managers that don't give a shit and don't understand what you're doing and i go and are going to pressure you to craziest to the craziest things it is a health job and it can be really hard but it can be also be awesome it can be a uh, there are places that are good to work. There are technology that's deeply interesting and that will surely motivate you. You'll find it all on jobs.amazon.com. I will be happy to refer you as a colleague. <laughs> you know, I could I can relate to that. So during the early days of my career, when I used to be a coder, so I would program in C and C++, I could literally go the whole day without eating and not even notice that the day went by. Yeah, it's, uh, for example, um, the, I had, I tried to open my own company and I created an e-learning company, an e-learning business, Craftware, and that's up to this day. 
and it's running with my with my friends but I could not dedicate myself as nearly as as much as I'd like and it's hard to make those commitments of what you're going to do with your time especially if you have the minimal respect for yourself and your family and the things that should take your time other than work so it's it is very hard to make those decisions but all in all, it's the most interesting profession one can ever have. And even if it's not your professional, as we said, we have uh, biologists and all sorts of professions. Everybody is uh, related to IT these days. There's not one profession I can think of that won't have to understand how computers work. and because that's no longer about computers. It's more about us. Yeah. So, Julio, where, where are you looking to take your career, let's say, in the next five years? Well, that's an interesting one because I, I always had the, the, the answer, but I've I'm, I'm, I'm never been as satisfied in my job as I am right now with this, the, being able to be directly with developers worldwide, Talking about the cloud, this, this is uh, something that I can't see myself doing for a long time. That's, no, that's a great, a short and sweet. <laughs> yeah, because it's, uh, I'm, I'm a very simple person. I have less than 99 objects. I always carry my backpack and my bike, my fixed gear bike for the world. And I really want to become better and better at cloud computing and fix, riding a fixed gear bicycle and perhaps some cooking and guitar playing, but that's mostly it. Of course, that I want to learn. There's a lot to learn about deep learning and all those, all those technologies that we see every day. But if I can continue helping developers being successful throughout the world and learning a lot from it, I can, I can not see a better use of my time yet. Awesome. And we've got a lot in common there. So, you know, I'm also fascinated by the global, just the global market. Mm -hmm. so being a New Yorker, we used to, you know, we, we've got the attitude that the world revolves around us because New York is a big city, but I just love, love the world. And just the fact that you and I are talking, you're in, you're in Spain, uh, you know, several thousand miles away and, six time zones away and we're sitting here talking to me that's the most fascinating thing in the world right and it looks like we're in the on the same room it's, yeah it was it's right really, really cool <laughs> yeah it's uh i'm lucky that i have a good connection today it's not usually like that when i'm traveling but we were lucky today yeah yeah absolutely very fortunate um if you could turn back the clock let's say <laughs> 12 months, do anything differently? Hmm. Yeah, it's um, this, on the, on the personal side, yes, I'm, I'm just moving to Europe and I wish I did it earlier. It, I'm trying for a long time, but I've been trying with this, uh, you know, more conservative mine and I was trying not really hard and then I decided to really push it and things worked so and that was one thing that changed a lot for me and this is the same idea that if you're not well with yourself and I certainly was not in the 
circumstances I was in Brazil because it's, you know, things there are not going pretty well these days. And this is a very important push to move away, but I, I could have done that pretty earlier <laughs> as a, a personal thing. In the, in the professional side, I'd say that I could, uh, there are some technologies that I see today and deep learning, live uh, and machine learning in general, the live analytics and the, the new meta skills, this, the things that we are talking about, these skills, personal skills that we have, this is something that we all need, uh, we all could have been earlier there and we really need it because in, in many places, so in the US, you don't see it so much because society is much more adapted to innovation and technology. But in Brazil, for example, we have violence against Uber drivers. We have WhatsApp being blocked by media fanatic judges and all sorts of crazy things going on. And I see innovation is nowadays much more about citizenship than technology. It's more, it's, uh, it used to be the case that to build the next Uber, you would need to be a very good developer and understand a lot of technology and have a lot of money in infrastructure. But nowadays, the hardest part is understanding how your service is going to change society, how it's going to be accepted by governments and judges, how it's going to be work for poor people and rich people, how it's going to work for people with different languages, locales, nationalities. And so it's more about citizenship and being human and accommodating those kinds of requirements than just scaling scaling and technical problems that are not any longer the hardest things. It's so true. And you know, don't, don't you find it interesting how with all the advents in technology that we have, you still can't get away from the human element. You know, people meeting face to face, talking face to face, it's still, you know, there's, there's still that element that you just can't yeah. do that. Yeah, I hope that Technology will make governments irrelevant eventually, but for a huge time, we're going to have to, for the good and for or for the bad, we're going to have to accommodate for the many, many society and citizenship issues that each innovation is going to bring. Good point. So, Julio, what do you like doing for fun? Well, as I mentioned, I'm, uh, I'm crazy about fixed gear bicycles. I, I'm, I travel worldwide. I, I go to two or, two or three countries per week, and I'm always with my bike. And it's a full-sized uh, fixed gear bike. So that's, I really, really like that. And other than that, I do a bit of cooking and a bit of guitar playing with the little time that, that's left for, for pleasure. <laughs> I, I I share that uh, that uh, pleasure with you as well. I enjoy uh, playing uh, on my guitar. So that's cool. That's fascinating. Wow! No wonder you love your job. I, I would love <laughs> to 
could travel to two or three countries a week. Yeah, it's uh, after my my last divorce, I decided that I didn't really care for all the things that I had in that house, and I just packed everything in a backpack, took my bike, and uh, I still have the. I'm selling the the apartment, but very soon I'll be completely nomad. <laughs> that sounds like fun. Well, what was the most exciting place you traveled to? Hmm, it's hard to say because every, I've been to the extremes of civilization. I've been to the places that are so poor that they even don't even heard about internet or they don't even have access unless they ride a mule for dozens of kilometers and things like that. And I've been to, uh, to Seattle and New York where you have all the technologies and all the advanced things, uh, level comforts that advanced technology may bring. And I find those equally interesting. So uh, I like the, the extremes where you arrive on one place and it feels like you're in a different planet, either because you are in the uh, interior of Peru near Machu Picchu, looking at ancient civilizations and having the this extreme, and just as well as going to the highest graded tech conferences and talking deeply nerdly with the the experts that. This one curious thing about our area as well, our experts and gurus are still alive and young and we can meet them and talk to Martin Fowler and James Hamilton and find them walking around on the conferences. That's absolutely uh, motivating. And when I go to these conferences and places that are on the other extremes, such as Oslo and wow, it's, there are many like those that just blows my mind how advanced, comfortable, and humane those are, especially on the places that where people feel good and they can live together and not abuse each other as in other places we unfortunately do. Yeah, and you know that gives you a great perspective on things when you go to these places and and, and you see how some of these people live, especially in the poorer places and. You know, yeah, do, it's, do you find that they're happy, you know, that they have this internal happiness. They don't. Yeah. And also there's, those are the places that you, technology can make the big, biggest difference. And it's just a matter of bringing it there. You know, most things are already done. You just have to find a way to, them, to make them work in those places. And I've worked in many, many projects in, in, in doing this. And I really believe technical education can change the lives of that young kid, his family, his city, his company, and his country. And so uh, we saw that happen in China, in India, their education cases are pretty interesting. And definitely technical education is uh, the way that I found that I think I can make a difference. And I saw it happen many, many times. Great. Julio, I know you're a busy guy. Yeah, I have a meeting in 
10 minutes exactly. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to let you go real soon. Uh, just before we do, uh, how do people connect with you? Well, I'd recommend Twitter right now at JM Fireman, J M F A E R M A N, or at Julio.cloud. You'll find the same links. But I'm allowed enough everywhere. I'm on GitHub, on Twitter, on twitch.tv slash AWS. But Julio.cloud or at JM Fairman on Twitter, it's me. Great. And please, um, please do anytime. I'm more than happy to answer questions and help you guys just send word. Excellent. We have time for one question. Um, I actually had a few questions from the audience, but I think one of them you actually answered already. Um, so I'll, I'll just say that one first. So Christy Sloniker, it, uh, she has a practice near Portland, Oregon. So you mentioned Portland that has uh, clean energy. Um, she helps seniors restore the quality of life. And she asked, is there something that a mentor said to you somewhere along the way? That you still remember use when the going gets a little rough. So I think you answered that question already. Yeah, this thing that uh, you know, don't let, don't, don't think that you're just the thing, a piece of the computer. You have a life, a family, and if you don't balance this, if you don't balance these things, it's it's not going to work. That that was a very important advice for me. Thank you, Jeff Barr. <laughs> and then we have a question from Margie Downs, an ad sales rep with Autumn Years Magazine. It's a magazine dedicated to celebrating life over 60 in Bergen County, New Jersey. So Margie says that over the years, she's been part of many small nonprofits. They don't have their own offices, so records and documents are kept on members' computers and in boxes in their homes. Uh, recently, their office equipment is a laptop and a cell phone. And she says, I'm sure that cloud technology can help these groups. Yeah, they do. Definitely, they do. Well, it's very impressive to see how technology is helping everyone. And one, one case that I like, and in a, I believe it's a similar context, is with Alexa and the conversational interfaces. Now with, with Amazon Echo, Amazon Dot, and many other devices that understand voice, it's much, so much accessible. Uh, all those systems, you know, the, a senior can just say, Alexa, I need, call me an Uber, and it will be, be there in a couple minutes. It's something that uh, it doesn't require him to understand how his Android, how his phone works, Android or iOS phone, and uh, it's so much easier and really makes life better for those people. And the one thing that is still an issue and will be for a long time is connectivity. And where you have connecti good connectivity, cloud can solve a lot of problems. But if you can't reach the cloud, you have some issues to take care and we are working on this kind of things every day there are great support for offline applications in both mobile devices and web browsers and even appliances such as green grass and and snow uh, are some of our devices that have these two layers that you can 
act both in the edge and through the cloud in cases where you have limited connectivity, but definitely is something that everybody can leverage. And again, especially those cases where you have a small agency or a small clinic that won't have the full resources of a hospital or the full IT, that you'll find a big corporation. And I think this is where the cloud really, really helps. And the problem is in these cases, again, uh, the, uh, it's hard to get a hold of uh, some mentor or some vendor or some sales representative or buy training. It's, it's not always easy to engage. And it's very, that's my job. I like to make it very clearly that uh, I care for the general audience, the whole public of developers that need to get in touch with AWS. And it would be a great pleasure to continue these conversations with you guys. Awesome. Julio, I know we're going to let you go right now. Are there any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the audience? Yes, please. We At AWS, we have many programs for everybody. So we have AWS Educate for students that are just starting to learn. We have a free tier for them, for everybody as well, for the first year. Uh, when those students will be doing... Uh, their theses and projects. We have AWS grants that can help them when they graduate and want to start their own business. We have AWS Activate for startups and so on and so on and so forth up to Amazon Partner Network for those who would like to become Amazon partners. And we have one way to support uh, everybody, I guess, and even when it, even if you're not covered by one specific program and you have a specific need, just get in touch with us and it will be a pleasure to connect you with what you need from us. Beautiful. Julio, thank you so much for your time today. It's been very educational and informative and I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you, Aaron. Um, it was my pleasure being here. I hope we get to see each other again. <laughs>